0: I am moved uh, by the, the leaders in this room, and I say that with the utmost sincerity. You could feel the pain or the trials or the difficulties, and the fact that you're persevering amidst difficulty is commendable. And um, moments like this we can gather together and we can encourage one another because we're in the same fight and we're in the same battle and we're, you know, we could kind of come and we can say, "Amen." Hey, man, like that Jaws movie, it's kind of dated, but they started comparing scars. <laughs> and the good thing about scars, it's, it's been healed, and so we could come in moments like this and say, man, I got this scar, and it was brutal, but, but um, God came through, God worked in our lives, God expanded people's hearts, and God... Grew our church, and people got saved, and so those kind of moments are so, so valuable, and that's what times like this is all about. Um, I want to talk to us about leadership, and I want us to kind of share some resolves and what we're called to as leaders. What, what is it all about? What are we doing? I want us to, to encourage us in our roles. I don't know if you're feeling this, but I'm definitely feeling it. Leadership has become a lot more difficult in the last couple of years. Things are getting difficult. It's a lot harder to be a leader. I don't know if you're feeling that or if that's just me, but leadership is a lot harder. And there's many reasons for this. We have so many bad examples of leaders. There are leaders that are celebrity pastors that are Promoted and and uh, kind of praised by the masses, and then we see spectacular moral failures. Uh, We see abusive and domineering leaders. We see leaders that are more like CEOs than actual pastors. This is a dramatic or tragic problem. People are just CEO pastors are training other pastors to just manage people rather than disciple people and it's created this disillusionment with leadership. People don't trust leaders anymore and there's some deconstructing happening about the role of leadership. I don't know if you're feeling this presently. And what we need right now isn't less leaders or or more soft leaders. What we need now are stronger leaders. That's what the moment calls for. We're in this time. It's difficult. Um, I've come to a realization, I didn't realize this up until I think the pandemic most acutely, is that people don't want to be led. And when I responded to the call to be a church planner, man, I thought this was amazing. It was like the same thing as Braveheart to me, man. I am ready to charge the mountain with war paint on my face, and I'm ready to stand with everybody else and charge down the the battlefield, yelling as loud as I possibly can. And I'm not all all alone. I'm looking behind me and everybody. We're all running together. Um, But in the last couple years, you realize people don't want to be led. People aren't looking for you to challenge them. When's the last time someone said, "Hey, you know what? I, I feel like I need some growth in my life, and can you just tell me some of my weaknesses?" Now everybody has it together. Everybody. Everybody's wise in their own eyes. <laughs> Leadership is difficult. It's like my, my kids. I love my kids. I have a four kids that just doing amazing: 16, 15, 12 and eight. And um, sometimes they don't want a parent. I mean, my five-year-old, my oldest, when he was five, he actually said, after I disciplined him, he's, we're in the car and we're driving and he says, um, you know what? I think it'd be amazing if there were no adults in the world. <laughs> I said, <was like>, wow. <laughs> I mean, if I let my kids do what they want, I mean, they would sleep in, eat ice cream for breakfast and watch YouTube all day. So this pandemic expose the fact that our people are not as mature as we thought they were. I don't know if you feel like that. Maybe all the people in your church are super mature, but I've come to a realization. I thought my people were more mature than they are, and they're not. There's a whole bunch of immature people. I assume that a lot of our compliant attenders... In our meetings, we're mature disciples of Jesus, and they weren't. And the pandemic exposed, it. once racial tensions uh, and po- political polarization started to happen, we saw the immaturity rise. I'm preaching through 1 Corinthians 5, and it's kind of been therapeutic for me. It's been difficult, but it's been therapeutic because Paul, like in, in chapter 5, he calls it, he says, you're infantile. What Paul says is, y'all are a bunch of babies, I'm like, if Paul could say it, I surely could say it. <laughs> and it feels so good sometimes. <laughs> we need to remind ourselves of the mission. We're to make disciples of all nations. And then there's the next part of teaching them to obey everything Jesus commanded them. And this is about maturity and and formation and causing people to grow. We talk about strengthening churches. What are we talking about? We are talking about taking immature people to maturity because they're obeying Christ. This is about formation. What Paul says is in Galatians, he says, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you. And I'm going to continue to feel this way until Christ is formed in you. We as leaders can't be satisfied with butts in seats. Compliant church attenders isn't the mission that we're called to. We are called for people to be formed in the image of God. For Christ to be formed in them. And this is the goal. And this is what we want to see. So, what the church desperately needs is leaders who will bring people to maturity. I want to look at 1 Thessalonians 2. This is one of kind of the bedrock uh, passages for me on what it means to be a leader. And um, there's much to talk about. We're not going to walk through this passage exegetically. I'm just going to pull a few principles from this passage, and hopefully it'll serve us for our time together. 1 Thessalonians 2 Verse three says this, for our appeal, this is Paul talking, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came to you with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. While we proclaim to you the gospel of God, you are witnesses. And God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So I want to talk four points about the kind of leaders that God has in mind. We have a lot of bad examples. Maybe let's realign ourselves with the standard that God has for us. The first principle is this, leaders, the kind of leaders that God has in mind are leaders who are not in it for themselves, These are leaders who are not using ministry for personal gain. And Paul says here, greed and glory. Are you in ministry for greed and glory? I don't think many people are foolish enough to get into ministry to make more money. I think when we respond to the call of ministry, me, like many of you, we're thinking, okay, I'm laying the, the pursuit of money down, I'm dying to that, to respond to the call of God. And we all did, have done that, and we applaud every person that's done it, but I don't know about you, but in being in ministry for a time, seasons, and hardships, entitlement starts to creep into your heart. And you start to think thoughts like, I'm working so hard, I deserve more than this. I deserve it. We need to protect our hearts from entitlement and greed and justifications of why we should get more or why we should be treated better. Our hearts need to be protected from it. We need to also protect ourselves from the pursuit of glory. Paul says, we didn't seek glory from people. So as leaders, we have to decide if our life and ministry is all about Jesus or if it's all about me. Are we going to build people's confidence in us or are we going to build people's confidence in Jesus? And the temptation's real because we're not making a lot of money. We're facing hardships, and so we're looking for like, well, like what can I get out of this? Please, so I get some benefits. What's well, like the salary package, the benefit. And some of us will start to be satisfied by seeking the benefit of glory. It feels good. It makes my life matter, makes my day-to-day seem more significant. It feeds my ego. Paul says, we did not seek glory from people. Part of the problem is that we have a lot of immature people in the church. In my church, in your church. Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians, and he's dealing with divisions and factions, and people, this infighting. Some saying, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. And what they wanted is to celebrate their celebrity pastor. Paul was this... Great teacher, but he was boring. And then you got Apollos, who was, was this great orator. And some people say, "No, I'm, Paul's boring, and he's always rebuking, and he's short, and has a unibrow." <laughs> Ap- Apollos is so nice and amazing, such a great orator. It's silly. This Paul calls this immaturity, and we've seen it. Everybody's picking their celebrities or their favorite person. Whether it's politics or in the church, and this is immaturity. Here's what Paul says. This is Paul's Who is Paul? Who is Apollo's but servants of Christ Jesus? My life says don't matter. You know what's happening is, and it's so ridiculous in the church. You, have you guys ever heard of Salt Bay? Salt Bay? Yeah. Have you seen the picture of this guy? He's a Turkish chef, right? And he's Famous. I mean, people are flying all over around the world to have his steak. Now, I love steak. You guys love steak? Yeah, we, like, we, have, we have good steak in the States. I, wasn't gonna, I almost said better, but it, I didn't want to make you feel bad. So, I mean, it's about the steak. When you go to steakhouse, what do you want? You want the steak. Do you care about who's seasoning it or how they're seasoning it? No, you don't care about it. This guy is making money because when he cooks his steak, he delivers it to your table, and he does this. I don't care about that. What I want is the steak. I want to put the steak in my mouth and be nourished and have an amazing meal. And that's the gospel message. And we come and think that we're so amazing. And we think if we just do this, it's going to make it more amazing. So people are going to this church, and they're doing, you know, this. And then... You know, someone's doing something else. It's ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. It's not about us. Who are we? We are servants of Christ Jesus. We need to get perspective, and we need to push against anybody that's going to try to make us king or make us a celebrity in our church because of their immaturity. Now, we're always deflecting glory coming to us. And redirecting it to point to Jesus. Our lives exist to point to Jesus. The second point is the kind of leaders that God has in mind are leaders who refuse to be people pleasers. Refuse to be people pleasers. Paul says this, they weren't given over to flattery to win people. They weren't going to butter people up to get them to do what they wanted to do, to get them to tithe, or to get them to give, or to get them to show up to a meeting, use words of flattery, coaxing, manipulation. Paul says, we're not going to do that. Paul's also saying that they weren't going to compromise their message and tell people what they wanted to hear. And there's been incredible pressure on our people to tell them what they want to hear. They want us to have their perspective. And we know if we stand up and hold fast to the truth that we are making some people upset. And their anger might cause them to create a division in our church, might cause them to leave. It might cause big givers to leave our church. And Paul says, we are not going to give into pleasing people. Verse 4, Paul says, our aim isn't to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Paul's aim was always to set his aim on pleasing God, driving motivation of his life. I want to please him. I'm doing this for him. I I live for him. Sometimes we could get caught up in thinking we're doing it for The people in our church, primarily. But Paul was able to say, no, we're doing this for him. He's the one that called me. He's the one that equipped me. I stand doing what I'm doing because I know that I'm called by God to do it. And when we have that conviction that we're doing it for him, it facilitates the ability to work hard when times get tough. I mean, I think there's a shared consensus in the room, like we thought about quitting or we thought about an exit plan. I mean, when I think about an exit plan with my wife, it's usually me as a lumberjack in the woods, (laughs) my wife in a cabin making lemonade or something. Ministry is hard, and people are difficult. We often think, "Why am I doing all this hard work? Like you're making my life miserable. I'm fighting misery because of your difficultness." <laughs> we think, "What is the point? I'm not going to serve you in this way." And if we start to think that it's about them, and we missed it. We're not doing it for them. We're doing it for him. And because he has called me, and because he has commissioned me, and because I'm getting all that I need from him, I'm able to serve those who aren't reciprocating kindness. (laughs) If we are not given over to people pleasing, we'll be able to tell the truth. We'll be able to tell people what they need to hear. We won't avoid what is considered. Taboo to talk about, or subjects that are expected for us to avoid. We'll be able to speak and proclaim the truth with courage. With courage. We need leaders who can endure. We need leaders who can stand up with courage. Kind of leaders that God has in mind. Number three are leaders who are willing to share their lives, leaders who are willing to share their lives. Verse 8, this is my password. It was my password for years. I've changed it, so don't try to use it now. But this verse has been foundational to the way that we do church. So being affectionately desirous for you, verse 8, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you have become Very dear to us. It was proclaiming of the gospel, which we hear a lot about. Like, let's be faithful to the gospel, let's preach the gospel. Yes, and amen. But Paul is also saying, we didn't just share the gospel with you, we shared our lives. Paul demonstrates in this passage that he was willing to share his life with these people. Verse 1, he says, for you yourselves know. He's calling them to remember his time with them. You yourselves know because you saw my life. I opened up my life to you. Verse 9 says, for you remember. Verse 10 says, for you are witnesses. Verse 11 says, for you know how. We lived. He's pointing like, you've seen my life. If we're going to get this in our hearts, it means that we understand that leaders in the church need to be known we need to open up our lives they need to see our life we're not just meeting leaders we're drawing a bunch of people into a room and we're good on the mic and we're good at leading the service and then we're gone Paul's saying I shared my life with you, you saw the way I lived the way that I parent or oh, he didn't have any kids The way I sat with you and had meals and the way I worked and labored, the way I related with those close to me in partnership, you saw it all. It's laid before you. And Paul didn't just share his life because he had to. He actually shared his life because he wanted to. He says, being affectionately affectionately desirous for you. God, he loved. I carry these people in his heart. Even the people that were difficult and annoying. It's The problem people. I, 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 I'm affectionately desirous for you. The temptation in ministry, especially when it gets hard, especially when there's lots of demands, is to kind of pull back. It's like just too much. I need to isolate myself. I need a little protection. It's, it's just been too much. And so we isolate ourselves, spend a little less time with people. And there's seasons for that. There's appropriate times to, to have boundaries. But if we allow the, the, the journey of ministry to condition us to constantly avoid people and put up walls from people getting access to our lives, that is a sign that we've missed the point of our ministry We value not only sharing the gospel, but we value sharing our lives. We're relational. We are to act like a family, and we have a relation, We have a relational value not because we think it's a good idea. Hey, what kind of movement are you? Like, like, what's your seasoning? Well, we have a little bit of relationship going on. It's not like we chose it because it's our preference. It's essential to the gospel. It's, it's faithful to the gospel and demonstrates the gospel. And this is what we're called to. When we share our lives, our lives become an object lesson of the gospel that we preach. So Paul's able to say, hey, you saw how hard we worked. We were, we were blameless in all areas of our lives. So we invite people to see our lives the way that we, our marriage is, the way that we parent our kids, the, the way that we're doing life so they can see how the gospel takes root in a person and how it lives out in everyday life 24-7. We're able to, we should be able to say, hey, follow, follow me as I follow Christ. That's what Paul said. How do, we, how do we call people to follow us if they don't see our lives? And even if we screw up and mess up, it's still a faithfulness to the gospel. It's like, man, you guys, I really, I was grumpy last week, and I preached to you harshly, and it's not appropriate, and it's not right, and I want to repent. I've already repented to God. I'm so thankful that God forgives me. He puts me back up on my feet. And we're telling the gospel message even in our failures, fourth is this, the kind of leaders that God has in mind are, are leaders who are able to, to model leadership after the family. Leaders who are able to model leadership after the family, that's what an elder is, It's the leader of a household. And together with our wives, we, we lead in ministry. This is how we should run the church. What more intimate relationship could Paul have used to explain what true biblical leadership looks like? The most important relationship in a child's life is their mother and their father. This is what Paul is saying. I want you to understand we we don't lead like other leaders. We're not celebrities. We're not these CEO leaders who are, are managing people. Just like using people. That's that's all is we're gonna build this church. I'm gonna build this church, and I'm gonna, you know, take everybody's profile test, and I'm gonna figure exactly where you and I'm gonna use you for this position. And we're like playing chess on the chessboard to get the church as efficient as possible so we could grow as fast as possible. And it's not about the people, we're just managing and using people. I'm not saying there's not wisdom and strategies and systems, but we can allow our hearts to not have the kind of heart that God requires of us. Churches should feel like a family. So think about the kind of parent that you want to be for your kids if you're a parent in the room. Parents love sacrificially. We don't lack of sleep, money, time energy i mean i've chatted with a lot of you and you're at different stages we have a bunch of babies in the room which is an amazing stage and guess what that requires a lot from you and i'd hate to say it gets easier but then they start walking they start tearing up the house and breaking all the vases and then they get older. and now we have teenagers and there's a whole another complexity that comes with that and at every point i am willingly sacrificing myself for my kids, because I love them. Parents are the loudest voice in their kids' life to encourage them, calling out their unique identity and calling, and you can do it. My son right now, he, he wants to be in the CrossFit games. He's 16, he's, so he's, he's a beast of a kid. He's all muscles, and so right now we're working. He's like, I want to make the game, so I'm like, we're going to do it. So I'm doing everything in my power as a dad to cheer him on. Hey, you can do it. And we're having lots of conversations every day. He sends me videos. Every day since I've been here, I, send, I see a video of him doing some crazy thing, working out. It's like, man, you could do it. My daughter's 15. She's been, she taught herself how to play the piano. She has a great voice, and she's leading our youth group. Our youth group right now at our church is rocking, and it's like 140 kids worshiping. And she is leading worship. It's like, man, we're going to fan that and play. I'm going to get you all the piano teachers and coaches and voice lessons. Like, we're in this thing together. That's a call on your life. That's a gifting that God has given you. Unique. I'm going to do everything I can so you, that gift can flourish. As parents, we don't give up on our kids either. I mean, it's not like, I mean, how many times has your kid offended you? I mean, my kid told me that he wished they didn't exist when he said, I wish adults don't exist. <laughs> we never give up, no matter the amount of mistakes that they make. Constantly say, no, I'm for you. I'm for you. I'm not going anywhere. You can kick and you can scream. Don't hurt me, please. But you can say insulting things. You could tell me how bad I am. You can judge my motives. You can do it all. But I'm not going anywhere. I'm here. I love you. I'm for you. Paul calls out kind of two, two wings of the airplane of skillful leadership. In verse 7 he says, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So Paul says, like a mother who's gentle, gentle and caring. So that's this one aspect to being a great leader, that we have to be gentle and caring. The other aspect is Verse eleven says, "For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God." So this is the the other wing of the airplane. Now, skillful leadership in God's economy takes off with two wings. If you take one wing away, what happens? You spin and you, you die. It's done. It's over. But if you have both the wing of gentleness and caring, and you have the wing of exhorting and charging, then, then we're starting to get the right picture of how we effectively lead people. There are some people in the room that are more pr- prone towards the loving side we're just loving and approval and wanting to care, and I'm, everything's okay, and we're, we're making sure that like, all their scrapes from their knees are cleaned up, and everything's okay. But you're not too good at challenging and speaking truth when truth needs to be spoken. It's truth and love. We need the love, and we need to charge our people. Some of you are really good at charging people. You're really good at calling out people's errors and weaknesses and identifying wrong. And it's like, no, get your life in manner worthy of the gospel. But there's no love coming from you. There's no love. If we're going to be skillful leaders, this is absolutely essential. What I've experienced is that the most difficult thing, some people are very good at confronting And those people are usually dysfunctional people. I mean, just my experience. You can tell me I'm wrong. You can come confront me after this. (laughs) But the people that are really confronter, that's what they're always leading with, the confrontation. People are usually dysfunctional people. I've experienced that a lot of us in the room, faithful leaders, very loving It's just a good thing. Very loving because we receive love from God, and so we freely express it to others. And this is absolutely essential to ministry. We receive love, and we give love to people. But for most of us in the room, we're not that courageous to challenge people when they need to be challenged. And Paul presents to us what true leadership looks like that we need to be loving, like lean into loving. We don't need to take away from loving. We need to love with gospel love, but we also need the courage to speak truth into people's lives. And if we don't do this part, if we're not willing to call people to account, to speak truth and love, to confront people and wolves in our church that need to be confronted, it, it creates for people who will not grow up into maturity because they're still perpetuating in their immature ways with never being challenged. It results in a divisive and divided church. It results in people getting louder, dysfunctional people in your church getting louder voices than they should. So we need this skill of being able to love people and to confront people. Now what I'm not saying is that we need to turn down the volume of love and turn up the volume of confrontation and speaking truth what i'm saying is we need to keep the volume of love really high and we also need to turn up the willingness to speak truth and to stand against people that need to be stand, stood against and this is the skill of leadership this is what we're called to and in this kind of environment this kind of environment people will feel safe people will trust their leaders people will feel secure and people will be encouraged, and it'll create a family environment where people can grow up in Christ and be the people that God's called them to be. So for us as a church, like this is our whole ministry model. Like if I was to tell you our ministry model, I could tell it to you in three words. It's known, loved, and challenged. It's our goal in our church that people are known. Our church has gotten bigger. And so the challenge is to manage all the people that are coming. And we, with emphatic conviction, as elders are saying, every person that is part of our church will be known. So we have to have systems in place to ensure that there's not an anonymity factor and people are just attenders at a church and coming, butts on seats, and then going on. Because our responsibility is formation and to bring people up into the image of Christ so we need to know people that's a responsibility we need to know shepherds in the room we need to know our sheep and then we have a responsibility to love them with gospel love we proclaim the gospel we demonstrate the gospel we speak truth one to another laying before people their gospel identity their love their their sons and daughters in God we point them to the gospel And then we also challenge people, it's what we're called to, to help disciple people. So there's a little model, I saw this years ago, I think this is helpful to understand. So if you have low challenge and low invitation, so we could say low love and low challenge, low love and low challenge, what does that mean as a church? It means it's boring and unfruitful, right? There's no challenge. There's no love. Who wants to go to that thing? That's like a PTA meeting or some. I mean, it's absolutely boring. Now, if there's high love and there's low challenge, what kind of church does that create? It creates a church that's very comfortable. Everybody's loving. It feels like a nice warm blanket, and we're sipping tea, and everybody just feels nice and cozy, That's not what we're called to. We could also get it wrong by having low love, low uh, invitation, and high challenge. And that kind of church results in very drivenness. Like, we're we're moving, you're not doing enough, let's go, there's a mission to be done, and I don't care if you're limping, I don't care if your leg fell off, we're moving. (laughs) And there's churches like that. You could even diagnose the well-being of your church right now. The kind of churches that God wants us to be leading or family churches, and the family church has high love, they're loved, accepted. And you're also challenged. You're challenged to live in the manner worthy of your calling, to be the person that Christ has called you to be, to grow and excel. In what So, I want to commend you guys for making it through a very difficult season. But I also want to infuse courage into your hearts. If you can listen to me, because this is what I feel deeply in my heart. I know this last season has been hard, and you've taken some knocks. And when we take some knocks, we want to create a safe space for ourselves to protect ourselves from any potential more, any potential blows or conflict that we, must, that we might feel. So it might cause us to be reluctant as leaders. And the world right now doesn't need weak leaders, passive leaders, reluctant leaders. We have this Mars Hill podcast, if you guys have been following it. And yes, there's things that need to be said in that podcast. But the, the, the thing I'm leaving with is if we dis- deconstruct leadership in the church, that is to our demise, We need strong leaders in this time, strong leaders who are convinced of our calling, convinced of what God has called us to, to expand gospel work and ministry. So I want to pray that God would continue to infuse courage into our calling of who we are called to be, what we we responded to a call whenever it was, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, And now we're where we are today, and I pray that God would ignite in our hearts a resolve, courage. I'm going to keep on going. What I know to be true of my purpose, what I know to be true of my responsibility as a leader in this church, help me not to take a step back to play it safe. Help me to be the leader that you have called me to be even in the midst of hardship and difficulty. So, would you please stand? I'm going to pray then hand it off. God, I ask, Lord, that you would infuse courage in the room. Jesus, we don't look to man. We don't look for their approval. We don't look to please them. And we're not scared of them either. God, help us to not be scared of people. Help us not to live with anxiety and fear of what this person might do or that person might do or what the media might say. God, help us to keep our eyes on you. God, as we look to you, you infuse courage into our hearts. You infuse resolve to the mission that you've called us to. And we need your help. Holy Spirit, would you come? The early church, they needed boldness. And we need boldness, God. We need boldness infused by your Spirit to be the leaders that you've called us to be. That we can stand confident in our calling, stand confident in our message, stand confident in what you've called us to do. God, help us to do that, Lord. God, help us not to shrink back, but help us to advance. Help us to take steps towards the mission that you have called us to. Amen. God, if our eyes have shaped, if what we have seen in the last couple of years have shaped our expectations, and our expectations are not honoring to you because they're meager and you have more in store for each one of these churches, I pray, God, that we would lift up our expectations of what you could do even in the midst of a difficult time. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name.